section nine chapters twenty eight through thirty one of the three sisters by may sinclair this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter twenty eight christmas was over and gone it was the last week in january all through december rowcliffe's visits to the vicarage had continued but in january they ceased that was not to be wondered at even ally couldn't wonder there was influenza in every other house in the dale then one day gwenda walking past upthorne heard wheels behind her and the clanking hoofs of the doctor's horse she knew what would happen rowcliffe would pull up a yard or two in front of her he would ask her where she was going and he would make her drive with him over the moor and she knew that she would go with him she would not be able to refuse him but the clanking hoofs went by and never stopped there were two men in the trap ackroyd rowcliffe's groom sat in rowcliffe's place driving he touched his hat to her as he passed beside him there was a strange man she said to herself he's away then i think he might have told me and ally passing through the village had seen the strange man too dr rowcliffe must be away she said at tea-time i wonder if he'll be back by wednesday wednesday the last day in january came but rowcliffe did not come the strange man took his place in the surgery mrs gale brought the news into the vicarage dining-room at four o'clock she had taken her daughter's place for the time being she was a just woman and she bore no grudge against the vicar on essie's account he had done more than he was obliged to do essie had given trouble enough in the vicarage and she had received a month's wages that she hadn't worked for mrs gale was working double to make up for it and the innocence of her face being gone she went lowly and humbly paying for essie essie's debt of shame that was her view shall i set the tea here miss gwenda she inquired since doctor isn't coming how do you know he isn't coming alice asked mrs gale's face was solemn and oppressed she turned to gwenda ignoring alice mary was upstairs in her room haven't you heard miss gwenda gwenda looked up from her book no she said he's away isn't he away he'll not get away for long enough he's too ill ill alice sent the word out on a terrified breath nobody took any notice of her the postman tell me said mrs gale from what he's heard twas all along o ned alderson's little baby up to morph it was took with the diphtheria a while back and doctor he sat up with it three nights runnin he did he didn't so much as take his clothes off ned alderson he said he'd never seen anything like what the doctor done for the little thing mrs gale's face reddened and she sniffed he saved ned's baby for him right enough dr rowcliffe has but he's down with it himself the postman says it was at gwenda that she gazed and as gwenda made no sign mrs gale still more oppressed by that extraordinary silence gave her own feelings way maybe we shall never see him in the dale again it'll go hard look you with a girt man like him what's never saved himself no he's never saved himself she ceased she gazed upon both the sisters now alice her face white and averted shrank back in the corner of the sofa gwenda's face was still neither of them had spoken mary had tea alone that afternoon alice had dragged herself upstairs to her bedroom and locked herself in she had flung herself face downward on her bed she lay there while the room grew grey and darkened suddenly she passed from a violent fit of writhing and of weeping into blank and motionless collapses from time to time she hiccupped helplessly 
but in the moment before mary came downstairs gwenda had slipped on the rough coat that hung on its peg in the passage her hat was lying about somewhere in the room where alice had locked herself in she went out bareheaded there was a movement in the little group of villagers gathered on the bridge before the surgery door they slunk together and turned their backs on her as she passed they knew where she was going as well as she did and she didn't care she was doing the sort of thing that alice had done and had suffered for doing she knew it and she didn't care it didn't matter what alice had done or ever would do it didn't matter what she did herself it was quite simple nothing mattered to her so long as rowcliffe lived and if he died nothing would ever matter to her again for she knew now what it was that had happened to her she could no longer humbug herself into insisting that it hadn't happened the thing had been secret and treacherous with her and she had been secret and treacherous with it she had refused to acknowledge it not because she had been ashamed of it but because with the dreadful instance of alice before her eyes she had been afraid she had been afraid of how it would appear to rowcliffe he might see in it something morbid and perverted something horribly like ally she went in terror of the taint where it should have held its head up defiantly and beautifully it had been beaten back it cowered and skulked in the dark places and waited for its hour and now that it showed itself naked unveiled unarmed superbly defenceless her terror of it ceased it had received a sanction that had been withheld from it before until half an hour ago she was aware of it there had been something lacking in her feeling mary and ally this she was not aware of got more out of rowcliffe so to speak than she did gwenda had known nothing approaching to mary's serene and brooding satisfaction or ally's ecstasy she dreaded the secret gates the dreamy labyrinths the poisonous air of the paradise of fools in rowcliffe's presence she had not felt altogether safe or altogether happy but if she stood on the edge of an abyss at least she stood there firm on the solid earth she could balance herself she could even lean forward a little and look over without losing her head thrilled with the uncertainty and peril of the adventure and of course it wasn't as if rowcliffe had left her standing he hadn't he had held out his hand to her as it were and said let's get on get on which was as good as saying that as long as it lasted it was their adventure not hers he had drawn her after him at an exciting pace along the edge of the abyss never losing his head for a minute so that she ought to have felt safe with him only she hadn't she had said to herself if i knew him better if i saw what was in him perhaps i should feel safe there was something she wanted to see in him something that her innermost secret self fastidious and exacting demanded from him before it would loosen the grip that held her back and now she knew that it was there it had been told her in four words he never saved himself she might have known it for she remembered things now how he had nursed old greatorex like a woman how he had sat up half the night with jim greatorex's mare daisy how he kept jim greatorex from drinking and how he had been kind to poor essie when she had the face ache and gentle to little ally and now ned alderson's ridiculous baby would live and rowcliffe would die was that what she had required of him she felt as if somehow she had done it as if her innermost secret self iniquitously exacting had thrown down the gauge into the arena and that he had picked it up he saved others himself he never saved he had become godlike to her 
and the passion she had trampled on lifted itself and passed into the phase of adoration it had received the dangerous sanction of the soul she turned off the high road at the point where three months ago she had seen mary cycling up the hill from morfe now as then she descended upon morfe by the stony lane from the moor below carva it came over her that she was too late that she would see rows of yellow blinds drawn down in the long front of rowcliffe's house the blinds were up the windows looked open-eyed upon the green she noticed that one of them on the first floor was half open and she said to herself he is up there in that room dying of diphtheria the sound of the bell muffled funereally at the back of the house fulfilled her premonition the door opened wide the maid stood back from it to let her pass in how is dr rowcliffe her voice sounded abrupt and brutal as it tore its way from her tense throat the maid raised her eyebrows she held the door wider would you like to see him miss yes her throat closed on the word and choked it down at the end of the passage where it was dark a door opened the door of the surgery and a man came out went in as if to look for something and came out again as he moved there in the darkness she thought it was the strange doctor and that he had come out to forbid her seeing rowcliffe he would say that she mustn't risk the infection as if she cared about the risk perhaps he wouldn't see her he too might say she mustn't risk it while the surgery door opened and shut opened and shut again she saw that her seeing him was of all things the most unlikely she remembered the house at upthorne and she knew that rowcliffe was lying dead in the room upstairs and the man there was coming out to stop her only in that case why hadn't they drawn the blinds down chapter twenty nine she was still thinking of the blinds when she saw that the man who came towards her was rowcliffe he was wearing his rough tweed suit and his thick boots and he had the look of the open air about him is that you miss carteret good he grasped her hand he behaved exactly as if he had expected her he never even wondered what she had come for she might have come to say that her father or one of her sisters was dying and would he go at once but none of these possibilities occurred to him he didn't want to account for her coming to him it was natural and beautiful that she should come then as she stepped into the lighted passage he saw that she was bareheaded and that her eyelashes were parted and gathered into little wet points he took her arm gently and led her into his study and shut the door they faced each other there i say is anything wrong i thought you were ill she hadn't grasped the absurdity of it yet she was still under the spell of the illusion i ill good heavens no they told me in the village you'd got diphtheria and i came to know if it was true it isn't true he smiled an odd little embarrassed smile almost as if he were owning that it was or had been true is it she persisted as he went on smiling of course it isn't she frowned as if she were annoyed with him for not being ill then what was that other man here for harker oh he just took my place for a day or two while i had a sore throat you had a throat then thus she accused him and you did sit up for three nights with ned alderson's baby she defied him to deny it that's nothing anybody would i had to and you saved the baby he shrugged his shoulders i don't know something or other pulled the little beggar through and you might have got it i might but i didn't you did get a throat and it might have been diphtheria thus by accusing him she endeavoured to justify herself it might he said but it wasn't 
i had to knock off work till i was sure and you're sure now i can tell you you wouldn't be here if i wasn't and they told me you were dying she was utterly disgusted at that he laughed aloud an irresistible extravagantly delighted laugh when he stopped he choked and began all over again the idea of his dying was so funny so was her disgust that she said was why i came well, then i'm glad they told you i'm not said she he laughed again at her sudden funny dignity then as suddenly he was grave i say it was nice of you she held out her hand and now as you are not dead i'm off oh no you're not you're going to stay and have tea and i'm going to walk back with you she stayed they walked over the moor by carva and as they went he talked to her as he hadn't talked before it was all about himself and his tone was very serious he talked about his work and with considerable reservations and omissions about his life in leeds and about his ambition he told her what he had done and why he had done it and what he was going to do he wasn't going to stay in garthdale all his life not he presently he would want to get to the centre of things he forgot to mention that this was the first time he had thought of it nothing would satisfy him but a big london practice and a name he might ultimately specialize if he did he rather thought it would be gynecology he was interested in women's cases or it might be nervous diseases he wasn't sure anyhow it must be something big for under gwenda carteret's eyes his romantic youth became fiery and turbulent inside him it not only urged him to tremendous heights it made him actually feel that he would reach them for a solid three-quarters of an hour walking over the moor by carva he had ceased to be one of the obscurest of obscure little country doctors he was sir stephen rowcliffe the great gynaecologist or the great neurologist as the case might be with a row of letters after his name and a whole column under it in the medical directory and gwenda carteret's eyes never for a moment contradicted him they agreed with every one of his preposterous statements she didn't know that it was only his romantic youth and that he never had been and never would be more youthful than he was for that three-quarters of an hour on the contrary to her youth he seemed to have left youth behind him and to have grown suddenly serious and clear-sighted and mature and then he stopped right on the moor as if he were suddenly aware of his absurdity i say he said what must you think of me gassing about myself like that i think she said it's awfully nice of you i don't suppose i shall do anything really big do you she was silent honestly now do you think i shall i think the things you've done already the things that'll never be heard of are really big his silence said they are not enough for me and hers for me they are enough but the other things he insisted the things i want to do do you think i'll do them i think she said slowly in fact i'm certain that you'll do them if you really mean to that's what you think of me that's what i think of you then it's all right he said for what i think of you is that you'd never say a thing you didn't really mean they parted at the turn of the road where as he again reminded her he had seen her first going home by himself over the moor rowcliffe wondered whether he hadn't missed his opportunity he might have told her that he cared for her he might have asked her if she cared if he hadn't it was only because there was no need to be precipitate he felt rather than knew that she was sure of him plenty of time plenty of time he was so sure of her chapter thirty plenty of time the last week of january passed 
through the first weeks of february rowcliffe was kept busy for sickness was still in the dale whether he required it or not rowcliffe had a respite from decision no opportunity arose if he looked in at the vicarage on wednesdays it was to drink a cup of tea in a hurry while his man put his horse in the trap he took his man with him now on his longer rounds to save time and trouble once in a while he would meet gwenda carteret or overtake her on some road miles from garth and he would make her get up and drive on with him or he would give her a lift home it pleased her to be taken up and driven she liked the rapid motion and the ways of the little brown horse she even loved the noise he made with his clanking hoofs rowcliffe said it was a beastly trick he made up his mind about once a week that he'd get rid of him but somehow he couldn't he was fond of the little brown horse he'd had him so long and she said to herself he's faithful then of course he would be it was almost as if he had wanted her to know it then april came in the long spring twilights the sick people had got well rowcliffe had whole hours on his hands that he could have spent with gwenda now if he had known and as yet he did not altogether know there was something about gwenda carteret for which rowcliffe with all his sureness and all his experience was unprepared their whole communion rested and proceeded on undeclared unacknowledged unrealized assumptions and it was somehow its very secrecy that made it so secure rather than put it to the test he was content to leave their meetings to luck and his own imperfect ingenuity he knew where and at what times he would have the best chance of finding her sometimes returning from his northerly rounds he would send the trap on and walk back to morfe by carva on the chance once when the moon was up he sighted her on the farther moors beyond upthorne when he got down and walked with her for miles while his man and the trap waited for him in garth once and only once driving by himself on the rathdale moors beyond morfe he overtook her picked her up and drove her through morfe to the consternation of its inhabitants all the way to garth and to the very gate of the vicarage but that was reckless and in all those hours for his opportunities counted by hours now he had never found his moment there was plenty of time and their isolation his and hers in garthdale left him dangerously secure all the same by april rowcliffe was definitely looking for the moment the one shining moment that must sooner or later come it was indeed always coming over and over again he had caught sight of it it signalled shining he had been ready to seize it when something happened something obscured it something put him off he never knew what it was at the time but when he looked back on these happenings he discovered that it was almost always something that gwenda carteret did you would have said that no scene on earth could have been more favourable to a lover's enterprise than these long deserted roads and the vast twilit moors and that a young woman could have found nothing to distract her from her lover there but it was not so on the open moors as often as not they had to go single file through the heather along a narrow sheep track rowcliffe leading and it is difficult not to say impossible to command the attention of a young woman walking in your rear and a thousand things distracted gwenda the cry of a mountain sheep the sound and sight of a stream the whirr of dark wings and the sudden cranker crank of the grouse shooting up from the heather and on the high roads where they went abreast she was apt to be carried away by the pageant of earth and sky the solid darkness that came up from the moor the grey aerial abysses of the dale the awful blank withdrawal of greffington edge into the night 
she was off heaven knew where at the lighting of a star in the thin blue the movement of a cloud excited her or she was held enchanted by the pale aura of moonrise along the rampart of greffington edge she shared the earth's silence and the throbbing passion of the earth as the orbed moon swung free and in her absorption her estranging ecstasy rowcliffe at last found something inimical he told himself that it was an affectation in her or a lure to draw him after her as it would have been in any other woman the little red-haired nurse would have known how to turn the earth and the moon to her own purposes and his but all the time he knew that it was not so there was no purpose in it at all and it was unaware of him and of his purposes gwenda's joy was pure and profound and sufficient to itself he gathered that it had been with her before he came and that it would remain with her after he had gone he hated to think that she should know any joy that had not its beginning and its end in him it took her from him as long as it lasted he was faced with an incomprehensible and monstrous rivalry and as a man might leave a woman to his uninteresting rival in the certainty that she will be bored and presently return to him rowcliffe left gwenda to the earth and moon he sulked and was silent then suddenly he made up his mind chapter thirty one it was one night in april he had met her at the crossroads on morfe green and walked home with her by the edge of the moor it had blown hard all day and now the wind had dropped but it had left darkness and commotion in the sky the west was a solid mass of cloud that drifted slowly in the wake of the departing storm its hindmost part shredded to mist before the path of the hidden moon for mercifully the moon was hidden rowcliffe knew his moment he meditated the fraction of a second too long i wonder he began just then the rear of the cloud opened and cast out the moon sheeted in the white mist that she had torn from it and then before he knew where he was he was quarrelling with gwenda oh look at the moon she cried all bowed forward with the cloud wrapped round her head something's calling her across the sky but the mist holds her and the wind beats her back look how she staggers and charges head downward she's fighting the wind and she goes she goes she doesn't go said rowcliffe at least you can't see her going and the cloud isn't wrapped round her head it's nowhere near her and the wind isn't driving her it's driving the cloud on it's the cloud that's going why can't you see things as they are she was detestable to him in that moment because nobody sees them as they are and you're spoiling the idea the idea being so much more valuable than the truth he longed to say cruel and biting things to her it isn't valuable to anybody but me so you might have left it to me i'll leave it to you if you're in love with it i'm not in love with it because it's mine anyhow if i am in love i'm in love with the moon and not with my idea of the moon you don't know how to be in love with anything even the moon but i suppose it's all right as long as you're happy of course i'm happy why shouldn't i be because you haven't got anything to make you happy oh haven't i you might have but you haven't you're too obstinate to be happy but i've just told you that i am happy what have you got he persisted i've got heaps of things i've got my two hands and my two feet i've got my brain so have i and yet it's absurd to say i've got these things they're me happiness isn't in the things you've got it's either in you or it isn't 
it generally isn't go on what else you've got the moon and your idea of the moon i don't see that you've got much more anyhow i've got my liberty your liberty if that's all you want it's pretty nearly all it covers most things it does if you're an incurable egoist you think i'm an egoist and incurable it doesn't matter what i think not much if you think that silence and then rowcliffe burst out again there are two things that i can't stand a woman nursing a dog and a woman in love with the moon they mean the same thing and it's horrible why because if it's humbug she's a hypocrite and if it's genuine she's a monster and if i'm in love with the moon and you said i was i didn't you said it yourself not at all i said if i was in love with the moon i'd be in love with it and not with my idea of it i want reality so do i we're not likely to get it if we can't see it no if you're only in love with what you see oh you're too clever too clever for me am i too clever for myself probably he laughed abominably i don't see the joke if you don't see it this minute you'll see it in another ten years now she said you're too clever for me they walked on in silence again the mist gathered and dripped about them abruptly she spoke has anything happened no it hasn't i mean anything horrid her voice sounded such genuine distress that he dropped his hostile and contemptuous tone no he said why should it because i've noticed that when people are unusually horrid it always means that something horrid's happened to them really papa for instance is only horrid to us because mummy my stepmother you know was horrid to him what did mummy do to him she ran away from him it's always that way people aren't horrid on purpose at least i'm sure you wouldn't be was i horrid well for the last half hour you see i find you a little exasperating at times not always no not by any means always can i tell when i am or when i'm going to be he laughed not at all abominably no i don't think you can that's rather what i resent in you i wish i could tell then perhaps i might avoid it you might just give me warning when you think i'm going to be it i did give you warning when when it began there you are i don't know when it did begin what were we talking about i wasn't talking about anything you were talking about the moon it was the moon that did it i suppose it was the moon i see i bored you how awful i didn't say you bored me you never have bored me you couldn't bore me no i just irritate you and drive you mad you just irritate me and drive me mad the words were brutal but the voice caressed her he took her by the arm and steered her amicably round a hidden boulder do you know many women she asked the question was startling by reason of its context the better to consider it rowcliffe withdrew his protecting arm no he said not very many but those you do know you get on with you get on all right with mary yes i get on all right with mary you'd be horrid if you didn't mary's a dear well i know where i am with her and you get on all right really with papa as long as i'm not there as long as you're not there yes so that she pursued i'm the horrid thing that's happened to you it looks like it it feels like it let's say you're the horrid thing that's happened to me and leave it at that they left it rowcliffe had a sort of impression that he had said all that he had had to say end of section nine 
Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine.